Welcome into the 3430 Club podcast. I am your host, John Thorpe, joined as always by Mr. Bobby Nemeth, coming live from Tacoma, Washington. Bobby, what was the highlight of your week this last week? I, Monday was my highlight because it's the one game the Yankees actually won. So I, I'd say that's the highlight. I was there. We'll talk about it a little bit later. I went to all three games that the Yankees were in town in Seattle. Uh, I mean, the crowds was it, it was it was awesome being there. The energy was there. It was sold out every single game. The weather was great. Good pitching matchups. Talk about the Garrett Cole Luis Castillo matchup that I was at and went thirteen innings. Just we just lost. <laughs> we lost the series, so that wasn't very fun for me. But as far as a baseball atmosphere goes. I mean, it's hard to say that's not a highlight. Just really disappointing, especially how we're playing right now. It's just, I, I would love for that not to get in the way of a good time, but it does. Like, if there's one thing that can ruin my day, it's the Yankees. Well, let's focus on the positives. So, what type of food did you have when you were there? I mean, three oh, games, you had to have fun. tried some good stuff. Oh, didn't I fun? Yeah. Look, there's not a lot of ballparks that have that kind of food i mean obviously like the yankees are they got the money they have a lot of vendors marcus samuelson's got a chicken restaurant in yankee stadium but did Fung is like well you're talking about you want good food like decent food you're gonna go to the ballpark but you don't want to feel like you're gonna die you know in the fourth inning after eating it fried rice some dumplings and chili oil some bao buns boba tea you gotta love it so that's that's what i was uh schmoozing on um, three days in a row not three Same days thing? monday wednesday i did and then i ate before at a something like in pioneer square we went to this uh me and my brother went to this mediterranean place and got a falafel sandwich which was really good but then i didn't end up eating anything i got like a bottle of water at the game tuesday so didn't actually buy any food at the stadium monday wednesday though it's din tai fung for sure and boba tea all right, I guess if you average that out across three games, that's, that's you did pretty good. Yeah, not too bad. Most of the time you get, you know, garlic fries that, <laughs> you know, they're not that good. It's just you feel like you have to eat them and then you're halfway through and you're like, oh, damn, I got to I got to finish these stupid fries. So I'm glad I didn't get that uh, that gut bomb and that uh that downward spiral feeling after eating those fries. The Yankees were doing enough for me on the downward, downward spiraling uh, feeling. Uh, I didn't need those Is fries. It, you know, my I think my favorite thing at the ballpark is actually super simple and super old-fashioned. I mean, it, it kind of matches my personality. You like to call me an old man. Hot dog, right? Uh, old baseball man. Um, no, yeah, peanuts. Peanuts. I, oh, love, okay. I love just eating peanuts. Like, I'm with you. I love being in an environment where you can just throw them on the ground and not okay. Care. That was my and just question make a total too, mess because some people uh, they don't like that. They think it's like really rude, and I just I'm like I don't know what to say. It's like a baseball thing. You just throw your peanut shells on the ground. It feels like we're yeah. on the same page there. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. I, there was a restaurant in the town that I grew up in that also had peanuts as like the appetizer. So like, instead of bringing you chips to your table, when you came in, they'd bring you peanuts just like at the ballpark and you could actually throw them on the ground at that restaurant. And that's kind of like oh. <laughs> one of the things that I guess gave them some, it was like free marketing, you know, like because what restaurant allows you to just throw food on the ground. 
Man, I feel like Barry, my brother, he, I think he was telling me about a bar that he went to that was really similar to that. You get your peanuts and you just throw them on the ground. I mean, it's just, it's the American way, John. If they're going to sweep the floors every night. It's true. It's just something well. you have to disconnect yourself to say, this is, they're going to come sweep anyway. You're not adding more work. It is what it is. <laughs> yeah. That's how I justify but it. But anyway. That's uh, that's my super boring but super classic uh, ballpark food that I enjoy. I like something to do while I'm watching the game. You know, like when I was a kid, I always used to like shaved ice because you're kind of like chipping away, literally chipping away at your food as the game is going on. Peanuts are kind of the same way. It's just something to fiddle with, right? Yeah, I, exactly. I get you there. Um, okay, so let's start out with some news around the sports world before we get to baseball. It is August, so it is a pretty slow time in the news, the sports news world, as we mentioned last week. Um, there were some preseason NFL games going on. Did you catch any of those? Not Watch watching them, them. Highlights, anything? Yeah, not watching them. Like I, The two teams I root for are the Packers and the Raiders. My, a lot of my family's from Wisconsin. This pack nation, like I have to. And then I've been a Raiders fan since I was a kid. My mom like went to a conference down there and brought me back a Raiders like sweater when I was like four or five. And I just kind of hung on to it. So when I got older, it was a team I paid attention to. Um, and when I was really young, they were really good. Uh, and then we went to the Super Bowl, got our asses beat, and then were terrible for like 18 years. So I wouldn't say I'm a hardcore fan of the Raiders, but, you know, I like when they win. I kind of pay attention to them, and they have Devontae Adams from the Packers uh, team back up with Derek Carr. So uh, I hope the best. Like, I, like they've been just, like, a, kind of, like, on the fringe. Like, been kind of either they barely get in the playoffs or, like, kind of an 8-8 eight and eight team. So I don't know. Maybe that pushes them over the top. It'd be fun to see them. They have that beautiful new stadium in Las Vegas. It'd be fun to see them uh, be successful and um, – yeah, and like I said, the Packers, the other team I have to is my family. I have a lot of friends that live in the Green Bay area, uh, a lot of my gamer friends, and so they they are so hardcore. They watch, they go to all the preseason games. I'm like, it's preseason. Like, who gives a shit? But that's Pack Nation for they, you. Maybe it's because it's the only games they can get into. I mean, I heard with Green Bay, it's really hard to get oh, yeah. uh, regular season tickets. Oh, yeah. You need it like, I think they're sold out for like 20 years so you need to know somebody that has had season tickets to be able to get in and you know it's such a like it's so strange i went to so one of my buddies that i'm just talking about he just got married this last fall and i went to his wedding in green bay and it's just like this tiny ass midwestern town and all of a sudden you look out and there's this mammoth of a football stadium just in the middle of the trees and nothing else it's just so out of place it's like <laughs> They have to have the whole state come and fill that stadium. So, you know, with the tickets, it's such a small town, really. Like, it's, you know, oh, yeah, I'm not going to the pack game. Like, hey, here's my tickets. There you go, bud. It's it's an interesting that, sports culture. I don't know what accent that was, but that oh, was it's, fun. It's my Midwestern accent. Like I said, I got family. I know. Um, I I need to look into the history of why Green Bay got a team. Like that's that seems like it, there's got to be a story there no, for I'm such sure. a tiny town, you know, but like, you know, 120 years ago, there was not a lot of metropolitan areas like they don't know what's going to explode and what's not. So I would assume like that yes. plays into it. There is a couple hot spots in the turn of the century or whatever that uh, 
some teams piled in and some of those cities blew up and some of them didn't. Yeah, for sure. Um, so no, no uh, preseason games to, no. to report on. No, maybe I'll try to play fantasy football this year. And then I kind of pay attention. I like it then. But outside of that, I've really stopped. You know, I'm, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Sports World. I'm aware of what's going on. But I've really stopped watching games like on Sunday. It's just not a big priority to me. I've, I've kind of fall, fallen off the NFL train a couple couple years back. Yeah. Yeah, I I usually do not watch preseason unless it's kind of just on in the background sure. if I walk it's at a in. a bar or something. Um, yeah. Um, okay. So then the only other, th- this is pretty reaching pretty far for news here, but I figured it was worth a little fun discussion since we're in the middle of the summer. And the last thing on our mind is a cold, snowy day in the winter. But the NBA came out with their Christmas Day schedule. And there were five games that have been reported today that uh, are on Christmas Day. And the reason that this is significant is it's usually the biggest money-making day for the NBA of the entire season from a revenue standpoint, um, both you know tickets and also TV viewership. And it typically marks the beginning, the quote-unquote beginning of the season for the casual NBA fan. Um, usually, once you hit Christmas, that's when viewership goes way up. and not coincidentally, that's when the NFL season's wrapping down. Um, so it's uh, it's usually like just a, a very big, momentous occasion that um, the NBA puts a ton of marketing uh, power and money into. So the games this year are going to be the Bucks at the Celtics, the 76ers at the Knicks, the Suns at the Nuggets, Lakers at Mavericks, and Grizzlies at Warriors. Any of those stick out to you, Bobby? I think the Grizzlies Warriors matchup does. Uh, it's the rematch. I think a lot of people it's old and new guard, but then you know Warriors are reigning NBA champions, and I think I think the Grizzlies had a lot of swag coming to the playoffs, and they were humbled pretty quickly. So I think that'll be like, like to me, that's the most interesting matchup, and those are the most exciting teams. Um, you know, maybe Kevin Durant gets traded to like somebody like the Celtics and it changes kind of like how you view that that Bucks Celtics matchup, but as of right now that hasn't happened. So yeah, I think Grizzlies Warriors is Lakers Mavericks, like like the who are the Lakers? Who cares right now? Like they gotta dig themselves the Mavericks, out of a hole. Uh, other than Luca, the Mavericks might not be that interesting to watch either. Sure, yeah. Um, but Luca is um, interesting, so he is always I'm a pretty show. sure I'm pretty sure that I don't have data to support this, but I'm pretty sure the Lakers have played on Christmas like yeah, my entire it's life. Le- I mean, it's yeah. the Lakers and then it's either Kobe or LeBron. Like LeBron or Kobe is going to be um, on Christmas Day. Those couple of years between when Kobe retired and LeBron got there and they were rebuilding and they were one of the worst teams in the NBA, they still played on Christmas. Biggest market. I mean, yeah. the Knicks aren't good, so the biggest market is still L.A. I'm not saying, obviously, the, the Lakers are not good, and they weren't, but it's it's just a different thing. Lakers have a lot more recent success and history behind them. The Knicks haven't been good in 30 years. Yeah. I, I think you made a good point that the most interesting matchup might be the uh, the fact that there is no Nets matchup. 
Um, when you have Kevin Durant and Kyrie on a team in the same team in a huge market and they're not on Christmas Day, that uh, makes you think that the league office is pretty confident that they're not going to both be playing in December on the Nets. Yeah, speaking of, um, I haven't seen any news. Like, obviously, you follow, and your Twitter sphere is a lot more heavily weighted with NBA personalities and things like that. And obviously, I have a few on mine, but I've heard nothing on either side of those. Kyrie, Kevin Durant, I'm starting to think that they're not going to go anywhere. I mean, I I don't know. I think they probably started the season together. What do you think? There was a little bit of breaking news. And by breaking news, I mean just very minuscule. On Monday morning, uh, Kevin Durant went back to the owner of the Nets, Joe Sy, and reiterated that he still wants to be traded. So for those that don't remember, he the day that free agency opened, Kevin Durant surprised, shocked the world, said, I want to trade and I want it now this offseason. And then we went through six weeks. Six weeks went by. Nothing happened. Uh, the rest of the world moved on and, you know, other teams made their trades and built their rosters and Kevin Durant's still in Brooklyn. So the question was like, okay, well, is he okay staying there now? Like, does he still want to be traded? And he made it clear on Monday that no, he really does not want to be in Brooklyn and he's kind of not happy that he hasn't been traded. So I think from from I've listened to a lot of podcasts about this and people that know Kevin Durant and are close to him say that he's not the type to just sit on the bench until he gets traded the way that like Ben Simmons did. Um, Kevin Durant is an uber competitive guy that um, supposedly when he was injured in the last couple of years, he couldn't even sit on the bench because like being touching the hardwood was like too hard for him to not be able to go out there and play. Like he just mentally could not handle it. And he would be like, I have to watch this game from home. Like I just can't even be in the arena. Um, so based off of that, like his history and kind of his, his, his competitiveness, a lot of people are saying like, there's no way he just sits on the bench and refuses to play if he doesn't get traded. So that would say that the nets have leverage. But, you know, he could he could uh, fake an injury. He could be a problem in the locker room. Like, there's a lot of different things he could do, even if he's playing um, on the court the first game of the season to force the Nets' hands, like the way that James Harden did when he was in Houston, where he's just like, all right, I'm just going to be a complete a-hole until yeah, you trade I, me. I think they're two different people, though. I think there is a world where Kevin Durant doesn't play but i don't think it's because he's he's going through and like a tornado through that that locker room and he's so destructive to the morale i don't think that's going to be him i think he's been league long enough he's professional enough he's outspoken enough where he's gonna be like look i'm not gonna sit on the bench but i'm not coming in and i'm gonna stay at home until i get a trade and the man's made more than enough money that he can afford to lose that money and or if there's any sort of fines like there was like with Ben Simmons, he can afford it. Um, he'll get that trade. And I don't think, you know, on his side of things, like he's not obligated to play. 
uh, he's not obligated to play. I mean, owners always have the most leverage. Typically, players usually don't. Um, and so it's it's an interesting thing because when players try to use their leverage or make a stance, it's like, look at this guy. Like, he doesn't want to play. He just needs to shut up and dribble and play for his team, show up. You would talk about Kyrie, and obviously Kyrie's a whole different situation. But, like, you know, owners do a lot of shady shit behind the scenes that we don't know about, and the players do. They make a lot of promises to the players they don't come through with. Um, they trade players all the time without any notice or any reason for whatever. Treat them like they're, um, you know, it's a business. Like, they're just cogs in the machine. And then when the player's like, hold up, I need to do something that's good for me, um, then all of a sudden they're selfish. And uh, I, I don't like that. And I, I think Kevin Durant is the person that has enough willpower that he can stay off the court, but he can do it in the right way, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think the right the right way might just be him saying, "Oh, my hamstring hurts." Maybe I think I need. I just don't I see him faking an injury. I just don't see it. I don't see Kevin Durant being that guy. I can see somebody like Ben Simmons being that guy or Kyrie Irving being that guy. I don't really see Kevin Durant being that guy. That's just me. Yeah. We'll see. I mean, from the owner's standpoint, do you put him out there and risk him getting injured? Because he does have an extensive injury history the last five years, and then his trade value drops. I think the owner... Like maybe, the, maybe the ownership or the front office says, you know what, we actually don't want you to play until we find a trade partner. I mean, it's it, that's an interesting take, but at the end of the day, he puts butts in seats. So... Mm-hmm. It might be a might be a debate between like the business side of the organization and the basketball side of the organization of like, yeah, we need to sell tickets. Owners on the other business side always wins, period. But on the other hand, it's like if if we can't get a decent haul for this guy, that screws over our franchise for the next several years. Yeah, but the thing is that they need to realize that if they make that trade, it could set them up for the next five years. Think about that. You we talk about Juan Soto. And mm-hmm. the kind of like generational talent that you can get for one player. I mean, Kevin Durant is above and beyond what Juan Soto is in the NBA. Think about if somebody can come through with a package that they want, and I think teams are willing to do that. I mean, it's going to set him up for years to come. I mean, he's the biggest resource that is in the league. He's the biggest resource, and they can use him for that. So I think it benefits them. Two, because he doesn't want to be there. It benefits them to trade him and trade him now. They've reported that the trade that they want is not out there. So maybe that's just them trying to create leverage. But I mean, I'm sure it is. I'm sure they it said is. nobody has met their price. But it'll be interesting. I would wouldn't be surprised if the season starts and he's still in the nets and but he's not playing. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. All right. Well. That's uh that's enough to have a Durant talk for one day. Um let's move on to another sport that we find dear to our hearts. <laughs> yes. Captain oh captain. Y- Tell me about this. You're aware of this documentary, right, John? Uh probably only <sighs> from you. John. ESPN <laughs> they did the um Oh my god. I can't think of it. The Michael Jordan documentary. What was it called? 
Do you remember? Top oh, of your head? boy. I should know this. Anyways, two about two, three years ago, they did a very big documentary about Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. And his the Last career. Dance. The Last Dance, right? And The Last Dance is all this premise of him chronicling his last year and all this footage that they had archived uh, for the last 20-something years. They finally released it, along with this really high-production uh, documentary. I think it was like a eight or ten part series. A lot of interviews from Michael Jordan, which you have never had before. All the players, everybody involved. It was really in depth, really interesting. So, same production company, ESPN, made a documentary about the captain, Derek Jeter, from the New York Yankees, and his reign and his tenure, twenty years that he had um, as a shortstop for the New York Yankees. And Derek Jeter is famously somebody that is very um, secluded and. Uh, very private, doesn't do a lot of interviews, hasn't done a lot of anything to show his personal life. So this was like kind of the first big glimpse into his journey in time as a Yankee and uh, just into him um, as a person and as a player and his mentality. It's really like kind of groundbreaking um, information and um, and documentary about a player. Again, we just didn't know that much about. We knew a lot about Derek Jeter on the field. But behind closed doors, behind those curtains, nobody knew anything. So this was really like a unique, uh, a unique piece that for me growing up as a Yankees fan, I mean, like he was my captain. He was the captain of the Yankees and that team throughout the late 90s, early 2000s like that. Those are my Yankees. Um, so obviously this documentary is an eight, eight part series about uh, chronologically his uh, from kid uh through high school to being drafted uh, up until retirement and then post retirement cuz he was a part of the ownership group that bought the Marlins um and just chronically in all of that uh, interviews with him and his close uh his loved ones his close friends uh, coaches and all of that so i finished it uh they released the last part on Thursday um it was great man and if you're a big baseball fan and you want to Check out uh, one of the greatest winners and most successful shortstops in baseball history and really get to know his his story and his legacy, man. Check out The Captain. Um, it's on ESPN. I think if you have ESPN+, Plus, you can get it. Obviously, if you have cable, ESPN, you can watch it on Watch ESPN and so on. Or you can bum it off a buddy. That's, sometimes that's what I do. Get some login information off a buddy. Um, it was really good. John, you need to watch it. I mean. You need to watch it. And I will say, as uh, as the only person on this podcast who is not uh, love drunk off the Yankees, uh, Derek Jeter is one of the Yankees that you can actually be happy for and root for. Uh, he's he's no A Rod. He's not. Um, you know, they do go into that pure that relationship. Much more pure person. They do go into that relationship between him and A Rod, and just to see the stark contrast of personalities. Uh, as a Yankees fan, John, you know that I don't like A-Rod. If you're a true Yankees fan, you never liked A-Rod. So we're in the same boat for different reasons. But yes, Derek Jeter, classy, classy man. Uh, great, great ambassador for baseball. Maybe not as successful on the executive side, or at least not yet. Well. <laughs> Did it get into that at all? Does it go up to It does. That? Yeah, uh, it does a little okay. bit. And, um, like, you know, it's, it's nothing, they don't really get more information than what we publicly knew. The narrative of why he stepped down as CEO was that 
the uh, primary owner, majority share owner, wanted to go a different direction than he did, and Derek Jeter thought that they had promised to have a vision and set and see it through, and then they kind of split split ways on what their vision was, and he Derek Jeter didn't want to stick around for that. He's like, this is what I signed up for, and if we're not doing that, then I'm out. Obviously, I'm sure there's a lot more that goes to it. You never and no, there's been really no information outside of that, so you know who knows what the actual truth is there. But he stands by what he said. He just they were trying to invoke a vision that he uh, didn't believe in. Okay, well I will have to watch it. Yes, yes you will. It's on my list. Now that I don't have homework on uh, Sunday know. nights, I know you you're know, just I something else I can do. You, the weekends are for you, John. <laughs> All right, um, and then next thing, the WBC. What does that tell me? What this means? You don't know what this stands for, John. Think about it for uh, a quarter of a second. The World Baseball Classic. That's exactly what it stands for. See, okay. <laughs> you're a smart man. <laughs> so the World Baseball Classic will be played in 2023. This is kind of like the World Cup for baseball. Um kind of an Olympic type of an event. You get all of the nations that uh, in the world that want to um, play for this title, the World Baseball Classic. They go through qualifiers, and then I believe 16 top, top 16 teams, countries in the world, played out with the best players from their respective countries. Something that's been going on, I think, since 2006, and it was supposed to go every three years, and then they popped it out to every four years, and then with COVID... Um, I believe it's been five years since the last World Baseball Classic. The USA won the first title. It was, and it was like the, it's been building up. It's a newer event. So the first couple iterations weren't as, they were exciting, but they weren't as popular. The USA can like consistently wasn't getting their best players. People were sitting out. And finally in 2017, they really got the cream of the crop. They came together and they won. And it was really exciting. Attendance was sold out in all the stadiums. And they played throughout the world. The qualifiers can be um, obviously in the States. Um, Japan's got a couple qualifiers. I think maybe Australia had a qualifier here or there. But typically it's usually between Japan and the States. And then the finals and semifinals usually played in the United States at uh, you know major league ballparks and things like that. So again, attendance was big. There's just a it's a it's a different feel. There's a lot of national pride, and so in the stands, people are representing their culture. Their flags are out. Um, the players obviously feel the same way, representing their culture and their heritage. It's a really cool thing. And you know, baseball is a world sport. Um, I would say outside of like soccer and a couple other things, it's one of the better um, world sports as far as diversity and how many countries are involved. Um, it's a cool thing. So, anyways, um, not this year, obviously, but next year in the spring before spring training um, is the next iteration of the world baseball classic. The rosters for USA have not been finalized, but I just wanted to quickly speak about it and say we've so far, we've had a pretty good um, cast of players that have signed up for it. Nolan Arenado, um, one of arguably the best third baseman in the league is uh, he played the last time he's playing this time. Bryce Harper, who has not played MVP last year, three time MVP. He signed up. He's going to play. JT Realmuto, one of the best catchers, best offensive catchers in baseball. He signed up. Trevor Story was good, question mark. 
Um, and then a big name, obviously, is Mike Trout, arguably the best player of our generation. Um, I don't, he didn't play in the last one, and he will be there this time. So, a uh, handful of players right now, but that's a pretty good, pretty good start, John. So, do you forgive him for sitting out the All Star game now? <laughs> he he was sitting he had, out the All Star game, yeah, so but he, he had some back problems, and he hasn't played for the Angels, so like he had injury problems. So, I give him some some grace there. Okay. I'm just trying to defend the man on here. So it's, if you haven't, like, again, you know, we're trying to, we talk a lot of baseball and the world baseball classic is not on the same level as the world cup, obviously, but it's building there. And it's just a really, it's fun baseball. There's a lot more energy to it. There's a lot more passion to it because it's kind of like the Olympics and the world cup. Like you're representing a lot more than just yourself representing your your culture your country and those around you too are doing the same so usually starts in february 2023 um check it out i mean it's a lot of fun to watch it just it's a cool thing i'm glad that we're doing this 2023 is going to be a big baseball year yeah seattle's got the all-star game i'm pretty excited about that if you didn't know that podcast is going to be rocking next year yeah yeah well not that it isn't already um so John, our our big news of the day. I don't know. What do you do? You want to kind of push that down and keep that last, or do you want to start with it? What do you think? Let's start with it. Okay. Let's just go in All with right. the bad news. Let's go. Uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. He was one of the best players, one of the best young up and coming players in baseball. Uh, this season, he's been dealing with an injury that he sustained on a motorbike. Is that right? Yeah. Crashed in motorcycle okay. a couple times, I guess. <laughs> and he's not known for his maturity or his uh, discipline to to uh, follow his contract, which tells him not to do things like that. He's 23 years old and has been given what was his contract? 13 years, 200 something 300 million, 40 million, I think. It's a big contract. He's one of the, he's one of the richest 23 year olds on earth um pretty fair to say yeah i think that's an um, easy statement yeah and just the maturity i think is is uh trailing the talent and the money we'll just put it that way but anyway so he sustained this um injury from his motorcycle stuff uh in the off season and then he's had a very slow rehab uh to get back he's been saying the right things of like i'm working hard to rehab i'm working hard to get back and originally it was supposed to be in june and then it became july and now we're in august and it's like we still haven't seen him and there was also reports that he was like playing soccer while he had this injury because it's a foot injury right or it's it's his lower body injury no no it's his wrist oh it's his Mm -hmm. wrist okay well see how much i <laughs> i was way off here for john anyway he was playing soccer while injured and the team was like you can't do anything like we need to put you in bubble wrap basically because you know you've committed your future to this guy he's super talented and you want him to get back because they're fighting for the playoffs anyway he was just like goofing off on a soccer field apparently and they were not happy about that but anyway this week, they're really not happy with him because news broke that he uh, got suspended for performance-enhancing drugs, and he'll be suspended for 80 games. Um, 
Bobby, there are probably 60-ish games left this season, maybe a little bit less. 48. 50? 48. Um, so, obviously, about 30 of those games are going to carry into next season. Um, so we will not see Fernando Tatis Jr. play in the regular season or in the playoffs, I'm assuming, uh, that it oh, yeah. applies to the playoffs. Yeah, no, he yeah. won't be back this year at all. So they've lost him for an entire season. Yeah, uh, and that was after making that all-in move to get Juan Soto just two weeks ago. So, not good, Bob. Not good. Man, like, you know, to keep this... Put this um, in perspective. Think of somebody like um, Lamar Jackson in NFL or John Morant, right? So, incredible players. Uh, Lamar Jackson won MVP. And then the next year, after he won MVP, gets injured, clowning around. Um, you're like, oh, you know, he gets a big extension, clowns around, gets hurt. And then the team's uh, fighting for a playoff spot without him, uh, makes a big trade to push because they want to win, knowing that he's coming back. And then, um, oh, nope, popped a drug test, and he's out for the rest of the year and in the next year, and you're not going to see him. John Morant, same thing. I mean, just think about these these players that are so young but have exploded onto the scene. That's Fernando Tatis. Fernando Tatis Jr. was he's supposed to be was supposed to be the new face of baseball, the guy. We're not talking about he was, uh, and he was paid like he was. Absolutely, he. We're not talking about a guy that's just a young rookie that's promising. No, we're talking about a guy that's been in top three in the MVP race, led the league in home runs last year. Um, has already been on the cover of MLB The Show. He is the next face of baseball. And then he comes out and lays an egg. Um, this is big news, man. Like, this is huge news. And the only thing for him that is a saving grace is he's so young. And he's got this big contract. You know, if he comes back and in three years he's back in the MVP caliber race, people aren't, they're not going to talk about this. But right now, it's a big deal, and we don't know if he's going to come back and be like that. And we don't know if he's going to come back and his teammates are going to accept him. And also for somebody with maturity issues, what you want is him to be on the field ASAP, right? You want him to get his head back into right. um, baseball, get back into the right mindset, because it's it's hard to be injured and not able to do what you're what you love and what you're being paid to do. Um, and so now they have to wait until May of next year yeah. at the earliest. If he doesn't crash and his who bike knows, again. Who knows? Yeah, exactly. Like, who knows what he's going to do between now and May that's unpredictable. And he's probably going to be in a really, really weird space. Um, probably not the best space for himself, you know, right. just in terms of. Uh, staying focused because May to a 23 year old is like, oh, that's years away, you know? Um, so yeah, it's, it's really, it's a risk. I mean, it's, I, it's really I don't think it's an over exaggeration to say this is a pivot point in his career. I, I really don't think mm. it's an exaggeration to say that because like two things are going to happen. He's going to come back and he's not going to play baseball major like live professional baseball in over a year two years almost and 
at that age. And so, and he's not going to be, he's going to have all of a sudden this stain of a reputation on him. So he's going to have to deal with the fans and the media following him for a while. And baseball fans don't forget, by the way, they just don't. And so for him, like right now, he's either got to, he's got to say, I got to turn this around. I got to buckle down and I know I'm not going to be playing. But I'm going to get in the best shape of my life, and I'm going to be the best I possibly possibly can be when I come back, and I'm going to earn the trust of my teammates back. I'm going to do what I need to do. You know, the fans will come around. Yeah, baseball fans don't forget. But if you're producing, they, you know, they'll push it off to the side. Teammates and players, though, they definitely don't forget. And yeah, they while you produce for them, that's great. But ultimately, he's got to earn the trust of his teammates and his franchise back. So he's got to put the work in. You know, and on the flip side, if he's he's shown such a lack of judgment and maturity this last year or so, like a really lack, it's very concerning for me. If for somebody that just, if I'm a GM and an owner, and I just gave this guy three hundred plus million dollars, I'm really worried right now. You know, maybe he just he gives up, and that lack of maturity shines through, and he shows up next year being indifferent and being somber, and he's a shell of himself. So. That's why I really feel like this is a turning point for him. He, he, you know, he can show up or he's just going to continue to do what he's been doing. And um, I really don't know. I really don't know I, I, if I had to bet on the kind of person and player he's going to be next year. You know, if I had to put money on it, I have to say that uh, things aren't going to look good for him because it hasn't been. He hasn't made good decisions. He hasn't showed any good judgment. He showed a huge lack of maturity. It's always been about him. He's been very selfish. And his his teammates have come out and said that too, that that's how they feel about him. And the GM came out and said, he's been unreliable. He's been untrustworthy. Uh, he's been shown extreme lack of maturity. We're definitely concerned about him. And this, again, this suspension is huge stain, but this isn't the first big piece of uh, misjudgment on his part. This is like the big giant cherry on top. Yeah, you're right. And and they are playing with fire, having him, giving him all that money, pairing him with Machado, who is not as immature, but Machado's had his own his things in the past, his own uh, reputation, I should say, before he came to San Diego. Now you're putting Juan Soto next to these guys like. It it could be awesome or it could be a spectacular failure. What a what a world we live in because there's a world in my mind where they just traded for generational talent and Juan Soto. But if things don't work out with Fernando Tatis, maybe they trade him. I think there's enough talent mm-hmm. there that any team would be like, yeah, we'll risk it. You know, they haven't. He's fractured that clubhouse and his reputation there, and he's gonna have to he's gonna have to mend that. But if you trade him to another team, yeah, he's got a bad reputation, but he doesn't fracture anything. Everything will be brand new and fresh if he gets traded to another team. And I'm jumping ahead here with that. But I think it's, I think it's possible. I absolutely, I absolutely think it is. Maybe he needs a manager that uh, can be tough on well, him. Well, it's Bob Melvin. They had the right manager. It just, but he hasn't played. He hasn't been around the clubhouse. He hasn't been able to have that influence. So it's like the Padres made the right move. and then. Again, Fernando Tatis didn't. Yeah. Wouldn't want to be the Padres front office right now. I think, you know, for me, it's like, thank God they made that Juan Soto trade. 
I mean, think about how huge that is now. Like, we're thinking about, oh, my God, this dynamic roster they're going to have with Machado and Soto Tatis. And now it's like, man, like, thank God I got Soto now because he's another generational talent that could be the face of baseball. Which you're kind of thinking now, instead of an addition of, he's replacing Tatis. Yeah, but now the pressure's to pressure's on. Oh, for to sure, win. absolutely. And since whether Tatis is there or not, since they made that trade, they haven't been very good, surprisingly. But with that talent and with Soto, um, I think we talked about this. I think like before the season started, I think you would ask me. If I had to pick one player to start my franchise around, who would it be? Who did I say? I'm guessing you said Soto. I said Juan Soto. That's right. I think I would have said that too. I said I'm pretty Juan sure Soto. we actually said I the same person. I think you said Tatis. I think that's what you said. I don't think mm. I did. I think I said Soto. We'll have to go back and listen to our original episodes back in the day. So anyway, um, big bummer for... Padres fans, huge bummer, obviously, for Tatis, even though it's like you reap what you sow. But the Padres have been doing it all year without them, and they're arguably a better team after the trade deadline. So they just got to put their heads down and work, and that's been kind of the communication coming out of the clubhouse. It's like, look, we've been doing it all year without them. It is what it is. Like, we got a job to do, and we're going to do it, and we're not going to worry about him. And, you know, some of his teammates, Mike Clevenger, came out was very candid said yeah like we can't we can't rely on him we can't trust him either and he's just been selfish and consumed and like you know i don't really want to talk about him he hasn't been a part of our team and so i feel like that is kind of the mood throughout uh throughout that clubhouse i knew i loved mike clevenger (laughs) the hair the tattoos he belongs in san diego man like so real quick also you know obviously we said he was suspended he he popped positive on a drug test. That drug was called um, Clostable, Clostable, Clostable. Don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. It's I think I think Bobby just said closet bowl, closet bowl, <laughs> closet ball, Clostable. I don't know. I think you're making words up. It sounds like I am, but I'm not. I promise. It is. Um, it boosts your testosterone, and it's typically used for um, to treat ringworm. And that's what Fernando Tatis said he was using it for. But the issue is, is that to pop positive for it, you have to be taking it for quite some time. More time than it would take to treat ringworm. And so he said that he was going to appeal it, but then he decided he would rescind his appeal because he was the one that made a mistake. But the thing is, if you really felt that way, you would rescind your appeal. You know what I mean? So he clearly knew what he was taking and the effects it was going to have on him. You know, possibly he does this because his rehab's been going bad. He's like, I need a little bit of a boost. A lot of players, even in the Balco days in the early 2000s, a lot of players were using uh, like HGH and this clear testosterone like cream for rehab. It, it wasn't always just get huge like Barry Bonds. It was just to... Um, speed up the rehab and get him stronger faster and i think that's probably what he was using it for and i don't think it was a mistake i think he knew exactly what he was doing i uh i do have a couple fun facts for you here now that i'm looking up this drug one it's the same drug that d gordon right. had tested positive for um and i rem- 
I've talked about it on this podcast where D. Gordon claims his trainer gave it to him unknowingly. Um, but now with what you're saying, that makes that a little less believable. Yes. I was trying to give D. Gordon the benefit of the doubt, but maybe my Mariner's lens was clouding me. I will admit when I'm wrong. Um, and then the other fun fact is that Tatis is now the third player to finish within the top three in MVP po- voting and then miss the entire next season in MLB history. Moises Alou and Sandy Koufax. Ah, oh, you're cheating. You're looking. <laughs> I already read that earlier. I was going to ask you who it was. 1999 and like 67. And Sandy Koufax retired. That's why he missed the rest yeah. of the season. The whole but season. That's not a list. You, that's not a list or a stat you want to be known for. No, and you think about the other ones, like retired because he won the Cy Young and MVP. Sandy Koufax, probably one of the better, best left-handed pitchers of all time. Okay. Moses Alou towards ACL. Shit happens. I think. I think Fernando Tatis's uh, his reasoning isn't quite as um, as good as the other two. He's going to stand out a little bit more. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to another team in that division. Wait. The Los I Angeles. have a little snippet. I'm curious to know what you think about this. Okay. So I was listening to another podcast, and this is what popped. So with Tatis, so who's a guy that the Padres signed for a brief period of time this year and then DFA'd? Robinson Cano. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was just about to say that. What does Robinson Cano have in connection with now Fernando Tatis? A, a long supply line of... PEDs. Correct. So Robinson Cano tested. He's popped twice, which means he's been suspended for a whole year. So that's the way. It's three strikes, you're out in MLB. You have 80 game suspension for one positive. You get positive again, it's a whole year. And if you get positive a third time, it's a lifetime suspension. So Cano's had two suspensions, totaling in uh, what 240 games. So some are theorizing that maybe when Cano was there. And Tatis was rehabbing that they connected, and maybe Cano had a little bit of influence on this. So it's an interesting interesting thought. I have a friend who can hook you up. So I'll just leave that, plant that seed, and leave that there. Baseball gossip. I love it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay. The Los Angeles Dodgers are not. not sad about this news by any means because now they can get the Padres off their back. I mean, they weren't, nobody's on their back, honestly. For a brief period of time, they were. But now it's, I mean, that's their division. They're going to walk away with it. it. They they could just sit half their guys and still win that division. And we're a month and a half away from the end of the season, right? So Dodgers, um, they lost today. Uh, puts them at 79 and 30, 46 games above 500. Um, since July 1st, if I remember this right, they've gone 32 and 5 since July 1st. The run differential yeah, is up to wild. plus 256, which I believe is the fifth highest run differential through however many games they've played in history of baseball. They really are starting, obviously, pour it on now. I mean, we talked about being the year that this could be an historic team, and they were kind of slow starting. They were obviously always leading the division and good, but we're like, yeah, this might not be that historic of a team. Well, wow, like, man, wow, they've really hit their stride. 
Um, and they just can't stop winning. And on the 12-game win streak they had, they won every game by multiple runs, which was like the first time since uh, like 1922 or something in 100 years. So the Dodgers are and will be an historic team. And I'm still like, there's a lot of good teams in the NL. And so it'd be really easy for me to say, again, like Dodgers going to clean sweep through the NL, make it to the World Series. Because they're just playing so damn good. But the Mets have been playing really good since the All-Star break. And so have the Braves, except against the Mets. So I think there are still a couple obstacles out there for the Dodgers. But my God, they are so, so damn good. They're so damn good, John. Super teams, man. 32-5, and John. 32-5. and Incredible. I, I probably didn't even have that good of a record in my uh, video game. Right? Yeah, exactly. They're having video game numbers. Absolutely insane. They just always find a way to win. They do. So I don't... Yeah. You need to talk about the Padres. Like, they, the Padres haven't been... been gone in the rearview mirror of the Dodgers for a while, and especially now. And they're going to walk away with home field advantage. I think somebody said that they, if they kept this pace over the last 40 games, it's like a, they would have won 134 games. And I still think the way they're playing, they could win 110 games. They have, what, 48 left? They go 30 and, like, they could win more than that. We're talking about a team that they keep on this pace. They could flirt with the wins record, and I think that could happen. I really do. Let's hope not. Don't want to give that to them yet. Yeah. Especially well, when Walker Bueller's not even playing. Come on. That's isn't that the crazy thing? Walker Bueller's not even playing. And then I was Dustin May, also, another guy. He's rehabbing right now. Oh, by the way, it's about eight o'clock. You're gonna hear my cat absolutely screaming at me for dinner. So everybody say hi to Moogie every time he says hello to you. That's a late dinner to eight o'clock. I'm glad I'm not your cat. Eight AM, eight PM. Jeez. Like clockwork. Um, speaking of teams that were flirting with the wins record, mm-hmm. New York Yankees, we are not going to hit that mark anymore, John. Nope. It was a rough week in the Pacific Northwest. So, as I stated, I went to all three games between the Yankees and Mariners. We lost the series. We won game one, I think, nine to four. Really good game. Hurrah! Busted out. We needed it. And I was like, this is where we turn around. Nope. Uh, the next game, Luis Castillo absolutely dominated us. But thankfully, so did Garrett Cole. He dominated the Mariners. Uh, went scoreless through 13 innings. We lost 1-0 to nothing through 13. Here's the fun fact. In extra innings, we had four outs on the base paths. We got picked off essentially four times in three innings. Between the, uh, I believe, the 11th and 12th inning, we only sent two batters to the plate, respectively, in each of those innings. We have two innings where we only sent two batters to the plate, got three outs. Guess how many times that's happened? It's like one of those things that you wouldn't be able to do if you tried. 100%. Guess how many times that's happened in Major League Baseball history, John? Zero. Zero times. It's the first time in history. 
I uh I really appreciated. I wish that we could like show memes through the podcast for our listeners, but you'll have to do with my verbal description. But Bobby sent me a uh, meme this week that was the Dennis Rodman meme in the last shot, last dance, where Dennis Rodman is like trying to explain how he plays basketball and he's just like i went over there and then i went here and then i swooped around and i did this and this this <laughs> and he's, he's like incomprehensible you have no idea what he's talking about bobby sent this to me and said uh the yankees trying to run the base paths and i got a good laugh out of that i got a very somber you, laugh you go here you you try to you run behind third and then you go back to second and then in case you miss second you have to go back to first and then you go bounce over to third I'm not lying. That's what they were doing. When I say that it was the worst execution of base running I've ever seen in my entire life. And it happened three innings in a row. You'll never see that again in a baseball game. And I was there to witness it. I was ripping my hair out. It was not a good time. So we lose that game one nothing. Set history. Great. Love it. Next game. You can be at a you can say you've been at a history making game. I'm glad that you're finding the silver lining in this, John. Not as cool as seeing Ken Griffey Jr. hit a home run right in front of you, but... He got me there. I did see Aaron Judge hit two home runs. That was pretty cool. Not the same. Too bad we didn't win. Um, Game three, Wednesday, was a day game. We got shut out until the seventh inning, so collectively we went 20 innings without scoring a run. Not good. We're losing one to nothing. Nestor Cortez had a no hitter into the six and gave up a solo shot. So we were losing the game one to nothing. Manners only had one hit. We had three hits, no runs. Hadn't scored a run in 20 innings. Broke out. Got three runs. Kyle Higashioka, two run bomb. Got the lead. Aaron Judge, another home run. Up 3 1. Good. Immediately in the seventh inning, gave up three runs. Gave it back. We lost four to three just unbelievable we're finding literally every single way to lose we've lost i think out of our last eight losses we have five one run losses the coin i i think i send this to you you had to flip a coin and a lot of times baseball is luck right who just randomly gets a hit ball squirts through whatever it is you flip a coin and sometimes it's you, and sometimes it's the other team. Every single time the coin is flipped, it's for the other team. It's been that way for the last month. It's absolutely astronomical how many games that we've lost by one run off of a blown. We've blown like five of our last six saves. It's crazy. It's absolutely sometimes. astronomically crazy how we're finding ways to lose games. We're seven and fifteen since the All Star break. We're nine games below 500 since we hit our uh, season high of 38 games above 500. You know what the craziest stat through all of this is, John? We still have a 10-game lead in our division. Yeah, you guys built a lot of ground in June. Unbelievable. And today, um, I, w- like, I could keep going on forever about this. It doesn't seem like we want to win. Today, we throw out this... We're going for a series win against Boston in Fenway. We throw out our C squad. We started Tim LaCastro. Like, what the hell are we doing? We sat DJ LeMayhew because he's got a toe problem, I guess. I. Anyway, 
We've been rife with injuries. Giancarlo Stanton, hopefully back next week. Rizzo was out for a little bit. He's finally back. Severino's obviously out. Hopefully he's back in September. Michael King lost him for the year. One of the best relievers in baseball. That sucks. He's been injured. DJ's been a little injured here and there. Matt Carpenter broke his foot in game one against the Mariners. The guy that's been absolutely carrying our ass fouls a ball off his foot, breaks it out for six weeks at least. Maybe we get him back at the end of the year. I, I just can't imagine a team having worse luck than we are right now. And the saving grace and silver lining for us is that we were 40 games above 500 before this. I will say that aside from the Boston series, you, you've had a tough schedule this month. I mean, it's been Seattle, St. Louis, Seattle, Boston. Houston also um, was in there. And you have, Mets. You have uh, not won a series in the month of August. And then coming up, it doesn't get any easier. Tampa Bay, Toronto, New York Mets, your next three series. I'm hoping to get a little revenge against the Mets. I will say again, a lot of our losses have been one run losses and a lot of those losses have we been winning by multiple runs in the late innings and we've blown it so like our expected win loss is like something like 80 and like 28 and we're sitting like at 72 and uh 33 right now something like that but we're our expected win loss is about 79 or 80 wins and we're at 72 so the baseball gods have not been kind to us over the last six weeks. I'm just hoping we turn it around in the last month and into the October because, my God, if we're playing like this, we're going to get bounced in the first round. We're going to get swept by whoever the hell we play. So, yeah, I'm, pack I'm panicking for sure. I don't care if we have a 10-game lead. It doesn't matter if we get to the playoffs and, and we're there for, for five seconds. That's not the point of this team. We're supposed to we got to win the World Series with what we have. Making the playoffs is not good enough, Where especially how we started. My God, not even close. Well, speaking of playoff teams, let's talk about a, a bright team that has surprised us this year in a good way. And that is the Cleveland Guardians have now taken the lead in the AL Central, stole it from the Minnesota Twins, who Bobby famously just absolutely hates and the first thing he said when i jumped on the podcast today was see i told you i told you about the twins and how awful they are i did they still they still have a chance to come back and lead the division but i will hand it to bobby that i did not see the guardians coming and the the reason is they have intentionally at least on the face, um, gone for a tank. In the last three years, they have sent out Mike Clevenger, Trevor Bauer, Corey Kluber, Carlos Carrasco, and Francisco Landor. Lindor. Uh, those are really good players. They're still really good players. They were very good in 2018. They're very good now. I mean, the Mets are benefiting from them right now. Uh, from Carrasco and Lindor, so... So when we saw that, it was like, okay, I guess Cleveland's just going to rebuild. Kind of made sense. They were going through a whole new branding uh, with changing their name, changing their logo. Um, it was kind of like, let's, let's kind of refresh everything in Cleveland. Um, and somehow they're division leaders. How did that happen? Nobody knows, John. <laughs> I, don't, I have no idea. That team has nobody special on their team except for... 
Jose Ramirez, who is a special player. Is this Shane Bieber slander? It's not slander, but he's not the same Cy Young candidate he was whatever two, three years ago. Tough. He's he's still a good pitcher, but like who else on that team? Mod Rosario? Oh yeah, all star right there. Owen Miller has been a nice surprise. Owen Miller, what Stephen Kwan, like Framil Reyes, they DFA'd his ass. This guy is they expected hit forty home runs, gave him absolutely nothing this year, and they DFA'd him. Yeah, that's that something I forgot to mention. That was news two weeks ago. We kind of lost it in all the trade deadline stuff, but yeah. Ramil Reyes hit 33 home runs last year, I believe. Yeah. And he was cut by his own team. That and really they're winning the division. What a crazy this, year. This team has intentionally got rid of their best players over the last three years and continues to compete. And they could win that division this year. Like I said, the twins, I told you all your I like I didn't I didn't trust them. I didn't believe in them. I didn't think they were that good. I thought they were overrated. Well, here they are. Here they are. And now they might end up third in their division. I mean, the White Sox are kind of starting to finally maybe peek their head up a little bit. Four games above 500, which I think is the most games above 500 they've been all year. It's been a really weird year. I saw some crazy statistic that they've been, they have like 30 different records of 500. They've been like one and one, like five and five, six and six, seven and seven, like all the way up to like 56 and 56. So they've been three games below or above 500 pretty much constantly all year, but they're still, what, two games out of that division. So anything could happen. And I really feel like the Twins, Twins are going to be on the outside looking in at the end of the year. And I'll be like, again, John, I told you so. I told you so. It's not like I'm some huge Twins believer. It was more that I just thought the other four teams in the division were awful. Well, I I shouldn't say that. I thought the White Sox would win the division. I mean, I think everybody thought the White Sox would win that division. I I don't think anybody saw Cleveland being the front runner. No, nobody saw them. I mean, again, they were intentionally selling all of the best players. You're like, again, here comes rebuild, and then yet again, they're flirting with the playoffs. Here they come. It's it. They're a weird team, man. Nobody, nobody can figure them out. Always have good pitching, and I guess that's what happens when you have Jose Ramirez on your team. One of one of the more overlooked stars in the league. I I will say that when he signed that extension with them instead of getting a trade, I thought that was a huge mistake on his part, and a weird mis- weird move by. The Guardians, because I really felt like they were they were rebuilding. Like, why are you sending all these players out? But you're going to sign Jose Ramirez to an extension. Like, get the prospect hall. They somehow know what they're doing. Nobody else does, but they know what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about other wild card races. Um, you wanted to mention the Cardinals in the NL Central, now leading that division. I know you've been a big Cardinals believer this year, and last week you denounced the Brewers in emphatic fashion. Emphatic. And, uh, you know, the Cardinals 7-3 in their last 10 games, and looking like, I mean, they're only a game and a half ahead. Let's not get carried away. It's yeah, August but, 14th. But you got to look at the trends, and the Cardinals were about four or five games out at one point. 
And uh, the Brewers just really feel deflated. That that trade sending Hater down to San Diego, it was it was like they just threw a bomb in that clubhouse. It's completely demoralized yeah. them. That was and them saying. That was them saying instead of being a World Series contender, we are happy just making the first round of the playoffs for the next three years. And I don't think they're going to make the playoffs this year. I mean, I think the Cardinals win that division, and I. I mean, I don't see, it seems like the Phillies, for whatever reason, I was wrong about them, but they're just sticking around, and Bryce Harper's probably going to be back at the end of the year, so they're only going to get better. And uh, obviously the Braves are whatever, like 25 games above 500, so they're not going anywhere. So the only team, the only way I see them making the playoffs, and I think the Padres too, they're 13 above, and I, you know, they're going to be better. The only way they make the playoffs is they win that division, and uh, the Cardinals are a better team in my mind, and I don't see them. I don't see them beating them. I just don't. So, I think especially the Jordan Montgomery on that pitching staff. I love that man. Good move by them. Absolute trash move by the Yankees. I won't go into that, but yes, I, I great just move. had to get you going again. Nobody wants that, John. Especially me, but nobody else. All right, other wild card races. Uh, you mentioned the the Phillies. We talked about them. I feel like we talk about the NL East a lot. Um, it's a good division. The AL East, Baltimore, hanging around. Hanging around. They're, they're a thorn I, in the Mariners' side right now. They have the best record uh, in the AL East over the last 10 or so games, and really the last 15. They have one of the better records in the AL since the All-Star break. I know they uh, they trade away Trey Mancini and they're they're also a closer and it didn't matter like they kept going and they're not nipping at the Mariners' heels. The Mariners are kind of like around five hundred, but they're in the number two spot. They're nipping at the Rays' heels. So I think the Rays won today and the Mariners did lose to Texas. I think they lost the series in Texas, which is pretty bad after that series win against the Yankees, but. I think that leaves and the Rays beat the, the Orioles, which was in a very, the Rays beat win. the Orioles. Exactly. So I believe that now the Rays are a game and a half above the Orioles. They were only a half game. So if the Orioles would have won today, they would have taken over that third spot and the Rays would have been out of a wild card spot. So there's a lot to see there. And I think between um, the twins, the White Sox, the Orioles, uh, and that bottom team, which is probably going to be the Rays, maybe the Mariners. You got five teams in the mix there. And yeah, there is a world where maybe the Red Sox get a hot streak and they can compete. I think they're only four and a half out. I just don't see it, though. But still, you have about five teams that can compete for the last spot, the last, uh, well, one or two spots. And so I really think September is going to be pretty exciting. If you're a Mariners fan, get to that stadium, man. It's going to be a fun run. It's always close in September for them. It's true. <laughs> and they, uh, is this the year? I don't know. Well, Julio's going to be back, man. I really do think that this is the year. I really do. They have a good pitching staff. And Luis Castillo. Julio played today. Man, he's a stud. Luis Castillo's so good. And he should be a Yankee, and I'm upset about that. He's just kicked our ass the last month, too. We've lost three times to him in a month. Unbelievable. Two separate teams. Three times. I don't want to face him again. Get him out of here. Okay. Maybe, uh... Maybe first round matchup, Mariners and Yankees. That would be fun. It won't be. It won't be. At, at best, it could be a second round matchup. 
Yeah, and that's probably not happening because the Yankees aren't getting to the second round. We start. We will start in the second round, John. The the Guardians or the Twins or the White Sox are not going to have a better record than than us. Okay, we're still like eleven games above them. Okay, we're going to get that first round by. But good try. I'm just I'm just enjoying pushing you while you're down. It's a great friend. I love having you in my life. This is what I'm here for. At, at the end of the day, it's my choice to keep you in my life. So really, I'm the one to blame. You are. You are. Um. Anyway, we're all we're we're all good. It's just sports. It's just Yankees. It's not just the Yankees. It's life. Um. Anything else in the uh, baseball world you wanna you wanna point out from this last week or going nope. forward? Yeah, I mean, I think we hit the the big pieces on the head. It'd be uh, interesting to see if that fallout is with the Padres and Tatis. I really don't think it's going to phase him that much. I think they've already kind of written him off throughout the year. I don't think it's going to be that much of a a hit to their morale. Just another classic example of when when you're in spring training and they say, "Oh, this player will be back in early June." Never believe them. Just like never Jacob trust them. Oh, Jacob Degrom's back, by the way, and he's still it's the August. best pitcher in baseball. Unbelievable! He's only pitched like four times in two years, and he's still just the best pitcher you've ever seen. Imagine what the, that Mets rotation could have been. Well, it's that's what it is now, and they're going to head in October probably with that rotation. So when I talk about the Dodgers, like you got to face Max Scherzer and Jacob Degrom possibly three or four times in a series, like. Good fucking luck. Well, I just think it's funny the Mets went from let's have a young core, you know, pitching staff to let's just get the oldest guy as we can. <laughs> get <laughs> you production. Know, Carlos Carrasco's in his late thirties and Max Scherzer. Get the uh, people that funny. produce. Right? Who cares? Who cares how old they are? If you're gonna win, you gotta get the people that are gonna produce and be there. That's right. So anyway, any what about you, John? Anything else you want to tap in before we head out? No, if you're a college football fan, uh, I saw this week a lot of the teams started their fall practice. So, you know, it's probably time for me to start researching the Pac-12, getting into that again. I'm excited to go to... I'm both excited and sad to uh, go to games this year because it'll be the last of the Pac-12 as we the know Twilight. it. The Twilight. Yeah, so Twilight Pac-12. I'll probably be pretty uh, nostalgic throughout the whole year uh, on this podcast when it comes to college football. But yeah, if that's if that's something you're interested in, that's heating up and we're excited to talk about it in a few weeks. We'll get there, man. All righty. Where can people find us? Twitter, Instagram at Yankee six and at Thorpe Theory. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with more on the 30 for 30 Club podcast. And we hope you have a great week and enjoy the warm weather. Yeah, well, last. All right, everybody. Toodles.